Welcome to a special episode of the Through the Point podcast. I know this mic sounds terrible, which I apologize for. I'm still in Eugene. I don't have the normal setup, so I'm going to make the intro quick. But Cyrus came up with this great idea to take over the podcast, especially it helps out during the season when I've been busy and haven't been able to record episodes. But it's him, Sean Fury, and Craig's Kin- Craig Kinsley, the men's javelin team at the 2012 Olympics, and they talk about their experiences planning for a big meet, just some awesome stories. I listened to it. I thought it was hilarious. So I think you guys will love this too. It's a really cool idea, and I want to do something again like this in the future with maybe the same people or a different group. It was it was really awesome. So as always, thanks for listening and enjoy. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining the Through the Point podcast. I have Sean Fury and Craig Kinsley with me. My name is Cyrus Hostetler, and I'm going to introduce Sean Fury from my point of view. Sean, uh, gosh, he is the oldest man in the field at every single competition. He recently retired, won our 2015 USA Champs with an amazing personal best of 83 meters and some change. I got to train with him for a couple of years and he went to the 2012 and 2016 Olympic games, two time Olympian. Awesome career, Sean. That was a cheap intro. Cause he also won the 2010 U S championships and 2014 U S championships. I, I tend to forget about all the years that I was injured and don't care about them. So yeah, that's why I don't remember. Yeah, all I remember about Cyrus from 2010 is a sound. Uh, and it kind of sounded like, ah! <laughs> I was very well known for my high pitched screams. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, was, did you tear your ACL on that? I don't know yeah. if that was the sound of, of one ACL pairing. <laughs> All right. Then Craig, who do you want to introduce? Cyrus? That was I my intro. I thought <laughs> that was your intro the sound. All right. Well, let me, let me introduce Craig then. So no one recognizes my voice. This is Sean Fury. Uh, and I want to introduce my training partner and, and hero, Craig Kinsley. <laughs> so Craig is a NCAA champion and 2012 Olympian. And I think his claim to fame is maybe being uh, one of the most clutch competitors and, and best all-around athletes in, in American javelin history. I was there when he uh, pulled it together for a, a massive PR in Chicago to punch his ticket to the 2012 Olympics. And then... Uh, um, he battled through a lot of injuries to, to end his career with uh, some very far throws uh, in, in 2014, over 81 meters. And the silver medalist, right, at the Pan American Festival? So you have yes. national medal. Yeah. All right. Well, if this is my chance to introduce Cyrus Hostetler, where do I begin? So Cyrus had uh, an incredible roller coaster of a career that really, the first time he was on my radar was back in 2009, uh, throwing absolute bombs. I want to say through 83 meters in 2009, uh, I was the top guy uh, in the NCAA and, uh, and then had multiple significant injuries, um, two ACLs. Uh, he had a UCL before that 83, a couple years before that. And then, uh, but Cyrus went on to finish out the career in the way after all those difficulties, um, he finished out his career in an honestly unbelievable way to me because I, I literally never thought he had it in him. Uh, but uh, 2015 and 16, 
uh, U.S. champ. Am I correct about that? Or you won, or you were 16 trials champ and 17 U.S. champ? I was second place in 17, but I will take first place. Like, you can okay, give it to 20, me. 17, 18, 19, U.S. champ. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I love it when, you know, people introduce you that, like, I don't know, reporters or whatever – and they just make up stuff that they read somewhere. But like, I don't, I don't like, you don't correct them. So yeah, we can leave it there, to be honest. Like I, I end up like a, what, 2015, 2016, 2017 US champion. That makes me sound good. So I'm going to move <laughs> this along. I kind of want to just like go over our Olympic experience. Uh, you know, we all made Olympic teams. We all probably were told what the Olympic games is going to look like and feel like. And we had different coaches but when we got there, we all had probably a different experience. So let's just start off with like in 2012, how did you guys qualify for the Olympic games? So two weeks before the Olympic trials in 2012, there was a meet out in Chicago. Tom Puxtis put it on at, at uh, Benedictine university. And it was kind of the last chance, last chance to hit the, hit the qualifier before you had to try to do it at the trials. And, uh, Sean, being the clutch guy, threw 82-74, if I remember correctly, and, you know, just got the whole, I mean, the, the whole, like, the whole beat was completely electric because when Sean hits a PR, especially a PR that's over the Olympic qualifying standards two weeks out of the Olympic trials, Sean goes, like, berserk level 11, and it was awesome. He, he was throwing, like, he tore his... His uh, belt off, was thrown on the ground, screaming at all kinds of octaves that you don't hear humans usually scream at. He, he went over and he grabbed a flag. He had a little American flag that he had planted and he started just screaming and waving the flag and pointing at the flag and screaming at me. This is what you do this for. Keep your chest back. And so he's just screaming at me. And, you know, I'm like, wow, I just witnessed this guy make like essentially make the Olympic team. And I'm like, well, I'm next. And it was a couple of throws later. And I followed up with 82-31. Would have been really nice to get the victory off him that day. Uh, but it didn't happen. But I'm convinced that it probably wouldn't have happened if he hadn't hit that mark and then uh, given me his energy. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for stealing my, my thunder. I couldn't have said it better myself. But that was, that was a great day. And, and that flag... I still have that flag in my trunk. I don't think it's left my trunk since 12. The reason I put it there was I just kept saying to myself, you're going to man up for, for the United States. So I, I looked at that flag on every throw because I, I knew I was going to hit the A standard on that day. And I, it helped me, you know, sacrifice my body to the positions so I could run down, you know, focus on my cues, keep my eyes on the focal point. And then just smash it as hard as I can, uh, you know, hit the ground and don't hold anything back. Let everything go um, because I knew I was doing it for a higher cause rather than just, you know, trying to throw far. I went to the Pan Am Games with Sean in uh, Guadalajara and had to face the Cuban. And he, he ran down and threw 87 meters on his first throw. And I was like, oh, shit, I guess. That's a Pan Am record, right? Yeah, or yeah. Was, at least at that point. Yeah. And um I was like, well, shit, I guess everyone's competing for second place here. And I think it was like on my last throw, I was feeling really pumped. Like if I could just fix this one cue, I could get a far throw and go from like fourth place to, to second. And I hit one good and I, I thought it was right. And then Sean 
like turned to me and he goes, there's your, there's your ticket to the Olympic games or something like that. What'd you say? I said, there's your A standard. Yeah. And I was like, what, what does he mean? Like, I, I didn't know it was that far. Um, and sure enough, it like came out on the readerboard, 82, 24. So I was super stoked, got in a second place. And, and I was the only one with the A standard coming up until two weeks before. And then both these guys smashed, uh, you know, their ticket as well. So top three of us um, go on to the, the Olympic trials, all with the A standard. And pretty much as long as no one beats us with the A standard, it, we, we went. And, and that's what ended up happening. So what was that? That was London 2012. What did you guys do? after you qualified did you guys go back to training did you guys travel did you compete what did you guys do because you guys are training partners right no not in 2012 oh you were i don't know why i thought you guys were nope that was uh that was the next year yeah so i i went home i couldn't even throw a a softball across the street for like two weeks where was where was home so i went home to mission valley san diego but i i was training up in mission viejo with uh with todd but yeah, two weeks before the trials, um, I guess three weeks before the trials, I injured my back. I spasmed uh, my SI joint so I could barely walk. Um, but you I was, still like, so hit I was, the A standard. Yeah, yeah. So I was. Oh my I god. Was, that was That's another no thing that kind that kind of uh, pumped me up for that day was I knew that uh, that it was like a fresh injury and it's probably going to tighten up more. So after that day, I had I I was on my back for two weeks. Um, but then came to the trials, was feeling pretty good. Uh, but at the trials, hurt my shoulder because I hadn't been throwing for so long. And I, uh, yeah, just like had terrible technique and just, just cranked the, the hell out of it. Um, so I didn't have many good training sessions, um, but it, it was a blast. I mean, I mean, we all must agree you were on cloud nine after making the Olympic team. So uh, everything was, uh, everything felt pretty good um, between the trials and the Olympics. But yeah, I stayed in California. Um, I didn't compete in any meets. And then, uh, yeah, just tried to get healthy and, and be ready for London. Yeah, well, first thing I did was uh, was go hang out with uh, Tom Puxtis and ride uh, four-wheelers. Sean, you were there for that, right? No. <laughs> oh, I guess it was just me and Corey. Cyrus, were you there? No, I have no idea. No, I, I don't know. Well, right after the meet, we went over and, and rode four-wheelers uh, with uh, Puxtis, which was awesome. But, yeah, no, I, then I went home, um, and we, I was training in uh, Providence, Rhode Island at Brown, and uh, I I kept I just kept training, and that was it. And then finally went over to Birmingham for the training camp right when it opened up um, a couple weeks before the start of the Olympics. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, in great shape and healthy and throwing the best I'd ever thrown. So I was kind of coming in hot to the games. I had a bit different. I, uh, I smashed my knee up again at the trials, um, like could barely walk. I, I started feeling good. Maybe like two or three weeks later. I can't remember. And my coach was Christina Sherwin, Danish national record holder. And so we went to Denmark, like almost immediately and trained in Europe at her like hometown and in hopes that like I could like get acclimated quicker and just be on that time zone and stuff like that and potentially find European meets because in America, Olympic trials and there's nothing afterwards. Um, I mean, there's more opportunities now, but there's just really nothing at the high level. So I went there. I did compete at um, the Monaco Diamond League where I met uh, Sean's favorite, Alexander Pietra. How do you say it? Pietra. Pietra. 
<laughs> Ukrainian beast. Um, and, and I competed there. I, I did terrible. I, I think I took dead last didn't even make final, um, because I showed up like an hour before the meet, but, uh, and then, yeah, I've gotten to the Olympic games. Who did you guys, uh, room with you guys pick each other as roommates at the Olympic village? I forget we, we did room together. So maybe we did. We maybe we did, did pick. I mean, yeah. I, I picked anyone, but Sean, but Sean probably picked me. So we ended up together. Yeah. Yeah, you could have like three choices and I wrote Craig's name down three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I was like, oh, I don't really care. I don't, I, 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 who was they going to possibly put me? They put me with like Nick Simmons. And I was like, this is probably the only guy I'm like not a huge fan of. Like, great. Uh, <laughs> and, and had a room in the same room as him. It was funny. I think we did choose each other, Sean. But then do you remember, uh, I probably shouldn't have chosen. Do you, you, do you remember what happened uh, one night? Oh, yeah, my night terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i woke up screaming. yeah it was yeah did you wet the not bed the best, or... not the best roommate to have during the day fine at night horrifying <laughs> oh my god yeah i had a pretty uh like stress does funny things to you but i had a pretty good case of uh of insomnia and in, during 2012 and i was doing some weird things at night I think I woke up one time standing up in the bed screaming because I thought like uh, animals were attacking me and my wife was panicking thinking there was like someone in the house. <laughs> oh my God. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think I might've been taking too much pre-workout in those days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's hilarious. So what I'm hearing is take too much pre-workout and it's, and you're going to make the Olympic team. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you guys, you guys had different coaches. What did your coaches tell you like the Olympic games was going to be like, and, and, and maybe if you can like expand on how it was maybe the same or completely different than what you expected. So, you know, my, my coach, Michelle Eisenreich, you know, she'd never coached anybody to that level before. And I think in some ways uh, it was a positive because we didn't have an a real sense of what it was going to be like from personal experience. So we just approached it like any other meet that we'd never been to before, because, you know, you have a lot of experience going to a new meet that you've never been to. And oftentimes going to a bigger meet that you've never been to with better competitors, it's easy to get taken out of your element. And so we just approached it from that perspective, like, okay, it's a new meet. It's a bigger meet you've never been to. Then we just have to focus on executing focus on what you can control. And in some ways, like I think going in, not knowing as much about it was a positive. Although we did, you know, I did get uh, a lot of kind of insight from, there was some kind of USATF, that kind of onboarding process, right? So after that, it was at the trials, I want to say, for those yep. who made the team, Probably we the had the Yeah, I think it was the day yeah. after, right? Where you got fitted for uniforms. And then we got a chance to sit down and some of the veterans kind of talked about the uh, what the Olympic experience was like to kind of get you prepared, which that was, I thought that was also really useful, but yeah, we went in really having no personal experience. You know, I think in some ways it was, it was good. We just kind of were trying to re be ready for anything. Yeah, I agree. I think Craig, Craig, uh, I love Craig's uh, philosophy, but you know, Todd Reese was my coach. He's amazing for anybody who doesn't know him. You need to Google him. Um, he's probably one of the best athletes in American history. He was on the 1996 Olympic team. Um, so he had some experience and I, I remember clearly, you know, what, what he told me. Um, so I was 30 or 29 at the time. So I had been around a lot here, heard a lot of people talk about it and been to the world championship. So it wasn't my first, my first rodeo. 
but you know Todd what Todd says and what everybody says is it goes by so damn fast like he said he was in the best shape of his life and I know I think I've even heard Craig say this but he he said he he threw 78 meters three three times it was like the same hole every throw um, which is good but he was probably in shape to throw 100 meters if he had uh you know been able to slow things down and, and let his technique work um so that was kind of that was the uh the goal is to you know stay in the moment um and uh and be ready to to just execute like you do at any other meet uh, but i i think personally i i over planned you know i didn't go and do the opening ceremonies i wanted to stay in california as long as i could to train so that i could come in at the last second just enough time to acclimate um and then uh and then do a good job, kind of focus on it like it was just another meet and, and go out there and uh, have a blast and, and kick some butt. Um, but what I am what I think now is it's not really so much how much physical energy you have because we're, you know, you're, you're in amazing shape. So the fact that you're, you're a little bit jet lagged um, and uh, maybe you've had to do a little bit of extra walking, which you will because you're walking around the Olympic Village for a few weeks or doing the opening ceremonies probably isn't a big deal, but mental energy is what you need. And that's what I felt yeah. like during, during the meet. And I think a lot of people say that too. They just feel flat. Um, and, and, you know, I felt like I was in a cloud. I was just slapping myself. I had bruises all over my body after the, uh, <laughs> cause I was just trying to wake my damn self up. Um, but you just spend so much time thinking about it and, and your, your, uh, you know, your, your ego is trying to predict, are you going to do okay? Are you going to win? Um, but if you can just, you know, watch some cartoons, and uh, not think so much about it, then you have that mental energy to really take advantage of the, the atmosphere. So I think Craig might be a little bit less of a thinker than the rest of us. So yeah. that's probably why. He... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you know anything about me, like I analyzed like everything. Like I remember going into Pan Am's and I told Sean, like after round one, I was like, okay, do you want to know what you're going to place with that throw? Because I already know statistically what you're going to place with that throw um, you know, type of thing. Like I knew exactly what I needed to do at every single meet and I overthought everything. And I, I had Christina, she'd been to the like Olympic games, she'd been world championships. She's competed at a very high level. She knew what she was talking about. And even though we like were told things and prepared for things, what Sean is saying, like being mentally drained. I don't know. I remember Art Venegas even telling me like, Oh, don't even worry about like getting energized because you're going to get into qualifying running. you be so freaking jacked up. And he probably used all kinds of really sexual innuendos and stuff like that. <laughs> I won't. I will say in London, like I was not. I walked into there yeah. and I was just like, why am I not as excited? It was because I was trying not to be excited like all week long, like just trying to so hard to like, don't get too excited or you'll, you'll, you'll spend all of your mental energy. And I, I fucking drained myself that way. But I was also probably stupid um, at London. I, you know, took the the subway. I walked around. I went and saw things. We all got like Nike fuel bands. And I remember like Reese Hoffa. And this is like when fuel bands were like the shit. And everyone used them to like who could work out the most and, you know, be the most active. But when we were in the village, it was who could have the lowest number at the end of the day because they expended the least amount of energy. And Reese Hoffa was like ordering taxis to drive like 200 meters because he didn't want to walk that far. And he meddled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's something to said, but like Sean and I both left to Rio as late as possible and, and, and tried to get there so late that we didn't have time to 
get that energy drain or anything that we trained as long as we could. So I, I don't know what the exact formula is, to be honest, but um, I definitely think you need to focus on those energy levels and, and focusing on like honing them just right and getting prepared for that, that meet and that competition. Don't drain yourself. Don't try to like not be energized. If you are use it, that would be my uh, advice. So I've yeah. got some, well, hearing you say that, like I've got some different or kind of new perspective. It's not so new, but uh, coaching perspective on this now after being through the NCAA regionals again as a coach, because when we were competing in the NCAA regionals, it was a competition. Like you got three throws and then a group made it to finals and you competed to try to win the region. And not everybody was doing that, you know. I mean, everybody knew that the main focus of the regional meet was to get through to NCAAs, but you got the chance to compete and take six throws. And now, you know, I, I want to say four or five years ago, maybe five or six years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, <laughs> uh, they switched it to a qualifying round. So you go down to regionals, you only take three throws. And that changes the game because people aren't really trying to win. And what you end up getting is the top people can comfortably throw what's necessary to get through. And because you can comfortably throw, they're throwing comfortably, which means they're not like super fired up. Uh, the energy level is kind of low. A lot of the people that are low down that don't expect to make the final are kind of in there and they're just spectators. They, you know, half the people are in there actually competing and half the rest of the field is just spectators. And that's how the Olympic games felt. And realistically, you know, if you're a top javelin thrower who's going to be making an Olympic team in the United States, you're not going to experience that in the United States very frequently because you kind of know that you're the shit in the U.S. and you're going to make every final that you're in. And then you get to the Olympic Games and it's not even it's not just a six throw meet. You got the qualifying. Your whole day is just qualifying. You have three throws and the top 12 are going to go through to the next day. So the top guys yeah, they, they're nervous, but they're trying not to show it. And some of the top guys just go out there and throw, you know, between 84 and 88 meters without, like, making a sound, and they just move on to the next day. So you get lulled into this, like, it's a low-energy environment when you're expecting it to be a really high-energy environment. And, I and like, a meet three throws will slip through your fingers right away if you're not competing. Because, you know, if you're not used to a low-energy environment, then, you know, you're a spectator. Uh, low, I mean, you're not competing. Low, low energy in the stadium, but like, obviously the, the stadium is roaring with 80,000 people. So it's right, tough. But they're, but in that qualifying, they're not necessarily watching you. True. They're watching what's going on the track, what finals are going on. And when the qualifying round of the javelins going on, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily roaring for you. So it, you can't, you have to be ready to like draw on the energy of the stadium, not on the energy of the qualifying round that you're currently in, because there actually really isn't much energy in the qualifying round. And I think that's, uh, that's to me, I think is what I would try to do differently next time is not worry about anybody in the qualifying round, just compete like crazy and try to be brought up by the stadium energy. Cause there was hardly any energy in the qualifying round from what I remember. You say next time. So you're going to the Olympics in, in what year? Yeah. 2028. I'm ready, man. Yes. No, no. I'm saying, I'm saying as a coach, that's how yeah. I prepare. That's how we prepare for the East region. And that's how I'll hopefully prepare athletes for the, for so, the so uh, Olympic Games someday. Let's talk about that, that format and how you could be prepared. So if anyone doesn't know, Olympic format, and I'll just breeze through this as fast as I can. 
you warm up outside the stadium, potentially like Rio, we were probably like a 10 minute shuttle ride, 15 minute shuttle ride, Sean, do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, we, uh, you had a warm up track that was probably 15 minutes away from the stadium. Yeah. And then in London, it was, it was like, I don't know, a 400 meter walk away, but it still took you like 10, 15 minutes to walk there. You get to the, the first call room. That's a 70 minute call room where they're checking your bags, checking your shoes, checking to see if you have electronics because those weren't legal. Um, and you had to maintain that warmed up phase, right? And then you went to second call room and I think they gave you your bib numbers there and they hold you there for another maybe half hour or something like that. I can't really remember. And then they escort you to the stadium and you have to do this all while staying warm. And then you get two competition throws to warm up again on runway. It's not like an American meet where you get to pick in the grass. You get to, you know, take as many warm up throws as you can um, or anything like that. It's completely different. So, um, you know, from walking out onto the stadium, what was your guys' experience of that and, and warm up throws? Like, how did you try to battle that different format? Yeah. So I, I, I probably, uh, thought about this so much and, and did so much planning and actually did it, um, you know, a little bit different in, in both 2012 and, and 2016. But uh, I think in, in general, my strategy was to understand the logistics perfectly. So know, okay, wh- what is my schedule down to the minute? When am I going to start my jog? When am I going to take my first throw? How long is the wait? Then what am I going to do? So try to plan it down to the minute and then try to, you know, mock that in practice. I did a little bit more of that in, in uh, before Rio. You know, I set up a lot of my practices. Craig uh, and Cyrus, you both probably remember, I had like a little timesheet <laughs> where we would yeah. do all, all kinds of planning. You know, in the end, I think that was totally all, all the all the preparation. You can just throw it out the window. I think you need to understand the logistics uh, and have have a schedule. But what you really need to focus on is uh, your your iron will, right? right. That you're going to go in and you're going to make it happen no matter what because. Who knows? Like in Rio, they gave us like a million warm-up throws. Yep. Uh, and then uh, in London, and that was for us uh, though. But like other events, right. they got like two throws, and that was it. So you didn't know what you were right. going to get. Yeah, right. And and like you said, uh, with the strategy of of keeping your energy, um, the more you think about keeping your energy, the more you lose it. Right. So right. if you even if you if you stayed in the in the room and watched movies, or if you walked around the city, you could drain your energy either way. So the thing is just stay confident, have that iron will that you're going to go out there and kick everyone's ass and you can feed off of the, the negative energy from other people is what I would say. Like watch, look at, look around and see everybody struggling with, Oh my God, we only get two warm up throws and be like, screw this. I can do this better than Johannes. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I only need one warm up throw. I'm going to sit down. I'm not even going to take two throws, but just having that kind of attitude um, I think will serve you better than uh, stressing about, how different it is so that would be one suggestion and then practicing then actually competing in meets that have that format so you can just get some practical experience so i remember i think it was adam nelson usatf was was like saying hey let's put together an olympic format and i think they were talking about this in like 2016 like let's put together olympic format meets where you have call room 70 minutes before like second call room we take, we take a 20 minutes between throws because that's how long it's going to be or even 30 minutes um, and really prepare you. And he was like, screw that. That's a terrible idea. I just need to qualify for the Olympic Games. Let me prepare afterwards because you can't just take like 
my NCA meet or the Tucson elite and just screw over my single opportunity for an amazing meet. Cause I don't get many opportunities to throw far, especially in the javelin. Like how many meets can you really put into a single season? Uh, it's not like the shot put or, you know, running races or anything like that, where your body can handle, you know, two dozen competitions, unless you're, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Petronoff, like he, he notoriously had things like that where he could compete like crazy. So you're saying you would like, a competition with that format yeah yeah i say it's a double-edged sword because i feel like i screwed myself by going to the tucson elite and uh taking eight million warm-up throws in the grass and warming up so comfortably like uh, i'm in this nice little cloud um and then you you go into reality uh, of like the big meets because when you're over in europe they have to do it like that because mm-hmm. the meets are run on a schedule there's tv time so i would say you know we need to have meets where it's not just a fake uh, structure because those those are kind of boring but it's you know you actually need to do it so you, you get used to it and it's not a big deal because that's just what you have to get done and you're just focused on winning because um, when you have meets where where it's just like a mock olympic structure it's it's hard to have the same energy as like a you know a regular meet with that just has the innate energy yeah but yeah i i think that you need to you need to practice it and and you're doing yourself a disservice if you only can throw far after this unrealistic, perfect warm-up, yeah, and I mean that's the that's the reason I qualified for the games, but maybe that's the reason why I um, I didn't have as much success at those kind of meets. Who knows? But we also weren't like Johannes Vetter. Like we were guys yeah. that qualified with the A standard, but we weren't throwing ninety. You know, I'm yeah. sure Andreas and Johannes. I remember 2016. I don't think Thomas Roller. I don't think. Um, Hoffman even warmed up at the warm up field. Like they just showed up. They started their 70 minute call. They were like stretching then and like getting warmed up and they were warmed up with their two throws on the runway. So maybe a difference in, in athletic ability there and what you're right. at yeah. and what your mindset yeah. is. But I mean, it was a fight to the death. You know, that's how I saw it. Craig, what was your experience like? Well, I mean, just to touch on what you were talking about before in terms of preparing, I mean, I think the step that the NCAA has taken to make only three throws at regionals is already a step in that direction. Um, And so these athletes are coming out with a different perspective than we had because you have a qualifying meet where you fly across the country for three throws and you have to make it happen. And honestly, it feels a lot more similar to Olympic qualifying than any other meet I've been to. And so uh, I think that's good. You know, I think if I went back, I would probably do what you were just talking about, Cyrus. I, I would think I'd probably, you know, be doing my warm up through the entire process of the call room and then go smash a couple throws and make it happen because we're not accustomed to warming up and crushing, uh, trying to crush on the warm up track and then, uh, and then having to cool off and then crush again. Um, so I, you know, I, I like that idea. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think I agree. I think it's more, it should be more about like, okay, you can, you want to be as familiar with what the, the situation is going to be, but then don't stress about it too much. Um, and just go in and just know that you're going to be able to hit it as hard as you can. But I don't think there's an exact way to get it right. Everyone's going to do it differently. Um, you could probably prepare perfectly and then have it fall apart. Yeah. Um, or you could prepare it terribly and then have it come together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did different, I did things differently in 2012 and from 16, I would say, I wish I would have done in 12, what I did in 16 and what I did in 16, what I did in 12. I was 26. My first 
Olympic Games. I was 30 in my second, um, probably like nearing the end of my career. Cause like, yeah, I was done in 2017. But it's like when I was younger, I could have gone out there, not warmed up at all, thrown two warm up throws and been freaking primed to the tits, ready to throw. <laughs> Where And that's what I, I think I probably tried to do a little bit more in 2016, but I was 15 injuries deep in my career and, you know, broken as shit. And I, I needed the warm up throws. So I, I don't know. I do remember uh, you said something about like, yeah, there's might be a huge stadium, but they're not paying attention to you. In 2016, it was so funny. The decathlon threw right before us. And so they had it all set up and all these fans have been watching the decathlon all, all day and they're watching, the, they watched the javelin and we got out there and I remember I took my first warm up throw and I think it was the first person on the run. It was kind of a free for all. It wasn't normal, but I throw and I'm notoriously dog shit at warm ups. Um, so I probably threw like 65 meters and everyone in the crowd like roared, like thinking it was like ooing and awing. It was so far. And then like, <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, Taro Pikamaki probably got up and threw like 85 and they like understood what an actual real throw was. Um, but it was like, <laughs> it was like, it made me feel good for like even 30 seconds. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were watching for at least a little while. Yeah. Sean, did you have any, uh, different feeling from London to Rio? Yeah. I, um, Rio was so great. That was part of the, the atmosphere that made it so cool was how laid, laid back it was. I think that that atmosphere kind of enabled some amazing performances in, in, in the field events where maybe they were a little bit more relaxed with some of the structure. Um, so I had wished that I didn't warm up at all at the warm up track because they were kind of letting you do whatever you wanted um, yeah. out, out at the stadium. Um, so that would have been cool to have, have taken advantage of that. Um, you know, I was trying to squeeze in throws wherever I could. I remember when we were under the stadium, um, I, I hit a ball in my shoe so I was taking some ball throws into the wall and they, I thought they were cement, but it was really like, a <laughs> I wall. That. and I, and I just blasted it through the wall right above, <laughs> uh, um, Julius Diego's head. And like, he was getting, uh, you know, spackled. I mean, everyone's like, Oh, but we, we all just laughed. Yeah. I remember everyone laughing at you for that. Cause it was like, yeah, you're trying to sneak it in and then you just make like a yeah. giant crater in a wall. Yeah. <laughs> Cause things in Rio weren't built very well, but yeah. Um, so yeah, you get, you get your two warm-up throws. Sometimes you get more. You you're, could prepare as much as you want, but you're not going to be ready. But then you get finally to the, the competition. There's like 20 throwers in your flight, and there's probably a minute per thrower. You're taking 20 minutes between throws. Do you guys want to each individually walk through maybe your throws, what was going through your head, and and, and what ended up being the final outcome? I mean, my, my first throw, uh, it still felt like a warm up. I was like, oh shit, this is, uh, it's time. It's the Olympic games. But like, I was still trying to find it on the runway at that point. Cause I did not find it in my, I think I got three, uh, warmups and I hadn't found it yet. So I was still trying to find it. I was just kind of like mushing, uh, and flying open. And, uh, so my first throw, same thing. It was just full speed mushing and flying open. And then second throw was full speed, mushing and flying open. And then uh, they were both, I think they were either 72 or 73. And I'm thinking, oh boy, this is, this is not good. And then last throw, I felt like I, I full speed mushed, but maybe didn't fly completely open. And uh, just barely felt like I caught a little bit of the throw and it was 78. Uh, and, uh, I was, you know, in that moment, I was pretty devastated because I realized that every throw essentially slipped through my fingers. Uh, but you know, 78 at that point was, I think it was my fourth best meet ever. At that point, I was 22 years old. 
So that was, you know, it, it, from that perspective, I was proud of it. But from the other perspective of feeling like I didn't do, I didn't hit anything. Uh, it was very frustrating because I knew that I was in shape to make the final. Yeah. So um, I, I kind of had a similar situation. Where, uh, I, I hadn't quite found it yet. So, you know, I was 29 at the time, almost 30. So I had many, many years of, of bad technique under my belt. So it's really important for me to, to have solid technique in my warmups. Uh, and, and I definitely skipped that step in London where it was like, okay, I'm going to go out and, and get intense because I only have a couple throws. So maybe it was, uh, you know, muscling it and uh, being too aggressive and not finding the, the feeling from, you know, throwing from the ground up early. So then I felt like I was ice skating on the first throws where I was just barely maybe feeling some tiny positions, but just not quite connected, uh, but still confident. You know, I, I knew I was going to have 30 minutes. So I had like a little routine between throws where, you know, I untied my shoes, take my belt off, <laughs> put on my sweats, take a drink, um, you know, get up and do some strides, then put my belt on, tie my shoes. And that took about 25 minutes. So I think from a structure standpoint, I had it down to, to try to keep my mind occupied during during those 20 minutes. But um, I just wasn't able to find that timing. So th that's what that's where I think the confidence comes in to just be able to 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 do what you know you need to do to to throw far and not not worry about oh I only get a couple throws. But if you only get a couple throws, take them easy and um, and and uh, you know do what you would do at any time if you were confident that you knew you were going to throw far. Yeah. I mean, I got out there, like, I remember them escorting me out onto the field. I was first round flight and just feeling like, I don't I had nothing coursing through my veins. Like it was, everyone told me you're going to be so jacked and energized and like just adrenaline pumping through your veins. And I felt like nothing. And I'm like, where is it at? Where is it at? So yeah, I was trying to find it on the runway as well. I mean, I opened up really poorly and then I threw a couple 75 meter throws and it was, it was like over like, and you know, like Sean said, it just, it's fast. Right. And then I went and, and went and watched you guys throw, you know, the first thing I did after it was over, I mean, other than being freaking devastated, I mean, I went and ate McDonald's, uh, to be honest, like so McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's is the sponsor of the Olympic games and you like hide from it all week or two or three that you're there. And when you're done, you're fine. Like I'm going to indulge and eat. Everything. Large chocolate shake, and I think I ate thirty nuggets. Yeah, because like they just they they don't sell it to you. It's it's zero dollars. They ring it up and they just say like oh six, like a six piece nuggets, a quarter pounder. They only have like five or six things on the menu, but you just ordered as many of them as you wanted. So instead of a large fry, you could just order three medium fries. It didn't matter. So yeah, we just freaking gorged. I, I gorged McDonald's. So dude, you could get like twelve small fries if you wanted. Come yeah. on, does it get any better than that? That was the life. Yeah, I, I look back on my post uh, like the next couple of days after um, after London, like it's very very good memory. But during the time, it was just agonizing. I went home and I didn't eat. I didn't even. I was like, why didn't even need to eat? I was so I couldn't believe I let that moment slip through my hands like that. But 2012, I had thrown 72, 70, maybe finished towards the bottom. Um, but I went home. I didn't even eat supper. I was just so so depressed. I remember walking to meet Maddie, my girlfriend, and now, oh, she was my wife. Um, but I walked Trey Hardy to get out of the village. He was going to get interviewed 
um, on Good Morning America because he just won a medal. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was going and I hadn't eaten in like <laughs> two days um, and was like borderline depression. And I remember just thinking like singing like some creed in my mind. What's this life for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I went and saw my wife, then came back in and went right to McDonald's. Uh, the hunger and the smell of McDonald's finally overtook me, and I, I probably had like <laughs> five hamburgers, 50 chicken nuggets, and uh, then had a blast. Some of my friends came to London. We were uh, tearing London up. I remember we almost got hit by a car on the <laughs> London Bridge because we had rented bikes, and we were like – double riding each other on the handlebars and, uh, i don't want to know about you guys riding each yeah. other yeah and i uh, i fell off the sidewalk with uh, with my little brother on my handlebars and we almost got into a head-on collision with the tiny little car but uh, and then in 16 yeah, I... all three of us we went and surfed in like the dirtiest ocean in the world right like literally yeah. sued no, I, I mean i don't it wasn't that dirty i mean it wasn't I, but no no it well is that ipanema it was amazing the the yeah. best well there were a couple amazing parts to that day one of them because i was not on the olympic team in 2016 was i i was and and i was hanging out with cyrus and john who were both on the team so i i've never felt more inadequate in my entire life um, in that time, period of time because i'd been trying to make that team and it was very difficult to be there and not be on the team but i remember we went to the usa house which was at, on ipanema beach and I was like, they were walking in. They're like, yeah, we're on the Olympic team. And I was like, oh, man, I'm just, you know, there's like security. I'm like, I'm just some schmuck who, you know, is just here. And they were, and, and the guy at the door was like, Craig Kinsley? Yeah, you're, you're on the list. And I was like, what do you mean you're on the list? He's like, it says Olympian. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, he's like, yeah, this is good. You're good forever at the Team USA house at the Olympic Games. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, Let's go. Dude, party. It's free food, free drink, like everything, right? Yeah, yeah I was like, that was I, that. I was like, okay, all right, I'm not completely irrelevant. Uh, this is great. Uh, but yeah, then we went, we surfed randomly. I was wearing like khaki shorts, and we yeah. surfed because yeah. we just saw somebody renting. Uh, you were yeah, in what, my shorts. Yeah. yeah, I was wearing your shorts. What was I? What were you wearing? Weird. And I think I took the shoelace <laughs> off of my shoes to like tie around my waist so that my pants wouldn't fall down. <laughs> And yeah. then we were riding bikes with your grandpa. Yeah, doing pull-ups yeah. and handstands. Yep. That was yeah, amazing. We did, didn't, didn't we? We rented surfboards from, from some sketchy guy, and we thought he was, like, taking us somewhere to rob us, right? Uh, yeah. He was, like, yeah, it was like, he's like, yeah, alley. come to this alley. Yeah. This is where the boards yeah. are. And we're like, oh, all yeah. right. <laughs> this like, seems good. But in reality, because, like, we, we in Rio, like, there was armed guards, like, every kilometer. So, like, we were just told, like, don't go anywhere. You'll, like, get, you know – robbed like uh what michael phelps or not michael phelps or that other guy and so we were like terrified but in reality like they were the <laughs> nicest people ever right yeah it was amazing it's it's always overblown the so, people of rio were amazing rio as a city was it was so and, great and, and the one other thing about the olympic experience that you get is as an athlete you get a free admission to like any event and like that like i went to a basketball game watched nba like dream team or redeem team at time like play but like Let's talk about how we all watched the shot put in uh, 2016. Like, absolutely amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, holy crap. We had the best seats in the house. We were, you know, up on the second level right behind the shot put. So you but we didn't have a ticket. But also see yeah. 
You, what did we do? Maybe well, it was like, you just, might just remember weird, though. You just didn't have a yeah, ticket. Yeah, you're just like, you just like apply. You just, I mean, for the track and field, I think we were just able to get into the stadium. Yeah, your as, credential as track guy, and field yeah. for, with the, for the other events, you had to like, you kind of had to reserve a ticket, kind but of, you could yeah. just reserve it for whatever Yeah, but they had like athlete seating at one section in the stadium, but the shot put to be close to it was on the other corner. And we were just like, oh, screw it. Let's just walk over there. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we just stood yeah, there. We were just sitting next to Krauser's dad, right? Yeah, yeah. And Mac Wilkins, I think, and stuff. And it was just like, yeah. I guess we're watching this. And there was like armed security guys. Like they wanted to watch. There were people just sitting in the in the walkway in the rows of, of stairs. Like there was not like an inch of space that you could sit anymore because there was just being taken up. Like that was just the laid backness of, of Rio, which made it you know, so much fun and, and amazing. We were at hype level 1000 screaming for Joe. Uh, we yeah. were, uh, I, Sean and I, I know Sean and I were just dying to see Joe win Olympic gold uh, in, in, uh, in Rio. I don't know who you were cheering for Cyrus. Oh, everyone. It was just like amazing spirit. I wanted us to go like one, two, three, man. Uh, I think uh, Krauser got the Olympic record that year. Yeah. Yeah. So Krauser yeah. Did the Olympic record. Yeah. The best, honestly, that was one of the most, uh, I mean, something that I'll I'll never forget. One of the most interesting things I've ever seen were the prac were Joe's and Ryan's practices Insane. at the naval track where the U.S. track track and field team was training leading up to the games. Watching them throw, I mean, oftentimes they'd have the shot ring back to back, so Joe would throw and Ryan would be warming up, and then Ryan would throw or vice versa, and uh, just being there and seeing what those guys were doing before that meet was just ridiculous. And you knew that like history was going to be made, you know, from in, in the Olympic stage. And both those guys were ready to throw Olympic record uh, going into that, into that meet. And I, that's something, you know, I'll never forget. So yeah, hopefully they, they watch, they listen to this podcast and they, they learn some mental tidbits from us, um, you know. Oh yeah, they with the really, really, that they we really have. need that from us. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit different there. But if, um, they, if they listen to this podcast, they're guaranteed to get worse. Oh, probably. Yeah. But let's let's tie it all back. Like anyone that you know, there's there's going to be six people in the javelin, three women, three men that you know potentially make this Olympic team. You know, what would your advice be now that we combined have? essentially you know craig even though one was as a coach like we have six olympic games under our belt like what would your advice be to anyone making an olympic team in their in their lifetime yeah it's hard to give advice um because like we've been talking there's there's so many different ways you can uh you can screw up um i think the staying confident and 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 trusting your team and your plan i think would be my biggest piece of advice so, you know, don't try to do new things, you know, really connect with your, your coach and, and trust in your plan and kind of remember all of the hard work you, you put in to, to get there. And, and don't let your um, don't let any doubt slip into your mind, because there's going to be plenty of, of reasons to tell yourself in the Olympic Village. So whether it's, you know, seeing the other athletes and in the high profile athletes seeing some huge performances and, and things like that in practice. Um, and maybe you're not, you're not stacking up at the moment. There's always reasons to second guess. And I think the, the people I saw that were most successful had a, had an entourage, you know, when you see some of the other throwers, um, 
from from the different countries. They have a personal coach, a, a massage therapist, uh, a physio. Uh, so you know they have their team, and they kind of it's consistent throughout the season. So I would I would try to replicate that. I would I would say stick with the the folks and the mindset that got you there, and then just um, bring that confidence from the United States to to Tokyo. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say don't listen to this podcast or anything we've said, because in reality, what's going to take you far in Olympic Games is doing what you've already been doing. Like, right. you're going to get a lot of advice. You're going to get a lot of people telling you how to fix this or that, or this will get you, you know, an extra meter or whatever. But in reality, you need to stick to the plan that you and your coach have kind of set out from day one and trust that that, that process is going to take you the farthest. It may not take you to gold medal, but like it's the only path that's going to take you past qualifying round right it takes 80 meters in the men's to make the final you know statistically and you've done that in order to get to the olympic games you've already done that so really you just need to keep doing what you've already done so that'd be my advice sounds like that was already my advice yeah yeah new advice but my advice was like better (laughs) advice yeah i would say you just need to focus on what you've been doing uh, no. Well, no, I mean, obviously that is, that is tremendous advice. I, I, I think like, I think like it kind of thinking back, if you need to do any thinking, I think if you don't need, if you're not a thinker, yeah. then stop thinking and just go out there and compete and have fun. But if you are a thinker and you need to think, remember the times that you went into a meet that you'd never been to before and you succeeded because there are probably a lot of them if you end up at the Olympic games. And if you don't overthink it, and you just know that things are going to be a little crazy, but you're just excited about that. And you just go in ready to have fun and compete. I think uh, keeping it simple is your best bet. Yeah. One last thing. And just, I don't know, maybe a little mental trick and this may or may not apply to you, but you know, when you get there and you feel nervous uh, or you start to doubt yourself, um, you know, you don't just kind of laugh at yourself. You, you can laugh at, at those little monkeys in your brain that are just scared because they don't know, uh, you know, how it's going to turn out. You know, you, it's, there's a, there's a lot riding on it. At least that's what you're, you're putting, putting into your brain. And if you, you win an Olympic medal, you think it's going to change your life. So there's a lot of mechanisms inside your head that want to know how it's going to work out. And, and it's just torturous to those things. And maybe you can call that your ego. So I think it, it helped me when I was actually able to recognize that was happening. Like that's why, I'm having these weird thoughts that I want to change my training or I want to go do this to prove something to myself, but just realize you're going to be freaking out mentally and you can kind of laugh at it and uh, just breathe through uh, having a meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not everyone's going to make, uh, not everyone listening to this podcast is going to, you know, be making Olympic games uh, in their lifetime. And I hope everyone does. What, What can we kind of give advice and give takeaways for someone that is, you know, making their first state meet that's the biggest meet of their life, making conference for the first time or the first NCAAs or Olympic trials. Um, what kind of advice would you give to anyone, you know, or is it the same advice uh, that you would give to someone making an Olympic team? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same. Um, I think, I think it's exactly the same. I think you got to keep your blinders on, focus on what you can control, focus on what got you there. Um, and then be ready to let the energy of the meet bring you up. You have, if you can focus on what got you there, what you can control, um, if the energy in the meet is high, you let it bring you up. If there isn't enough energy, you need to be prepared because sometimes that happens. There's not as much energy as you think. 
So you, you have to be prepared it. to bring it for yourself. You got to create it. So you need to be, you need to either let it bring you up or bring it for yourself. But either way, you got to focus on, on everything that, that you've done to get yourself there. Yeah. And uh, coach Wallen, Carl Wallen from, from uh, Dartmouth was my coach. And he, he's kind of, his principle aligns with everything we've been saying. He's like, Sean, we're going to go to the NCAA meet and we're going to score, meaning that we're going to place in the top eight. And he's like, all you have to do is do what you did to get yourself there. <laughs> so, and it, it always works out. So don't worry about, everybody has these dreams of, uh, of doing something amazing um, and, and they happen, but it happens when you let it happen. And if you just focus on executing the way you've done it in the past, you're going to give yourself the best shot to, uh, to make magic happen. Uh, and even if you, if you let yourself have uh, the same type of throw that you've been having earlier in the season, it's going to be much better than, you know, letting the, the energy of the meat kind of overcome you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think uh, I have more experience than all of you guys and you guys are, are saying it all wrong. I mean, I think you need to do more. <laughs> I think you need to do something different, go faster, try harder, um, not scream on your throat. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I think the only thing I could add to that is to just kind of remind yourself that everyone that's there is just as scared shitless as you. And anyone that looks like they're not, they're just better at hiding it. I don't know how many competitions that were like my, you know, the big meets, I was still terrified because, and even maybe more terrified because I had something to prove. So um, like, just go there and, and have a freaking good time. That's, that's, I mean, maybe that's another piece of advice I'd say is I've done so many meets where I remember I was like mean mugging and I just was like, this is business trip. I'm here to fucking throw far, get the job done, go home, you know, all that stuff and the odds of you throwing far acting like that is probably worse than you throwing far and having a good time. But the difference is when I was like mean mugging and taking everything so seriously and being a jackass and rude to everyone and not friendly and taking it seriously is when the meat got over and I threw like shit, I felt like an awful person. But if I had fun and I was excited and I was nice and I was jacking people up and, you know, being excited for people, no matter what happened to the end of the meet, whether I threw far, it was great. If I didn't, I was still happy for everyone. So I'd say get out there, have a freaking blast, keep on doing what you're doing and, and, and just, yeah, throw far. So we're wrapping up. I just, uh, you know, Sean doesn't like doing this, Craig. I don't know if you really like doing this. I haven't been really paying attention at all um, to like all the throwers. But I did, we're a week away from the Olympic trials. Who do you guys have as your dream top three of who you would like to see make the Olympic Games, um, men's and or women's side? Craig doesn't know anything. He doesn't even know who's throwing anymore. Do you, Craig? <laughs> Craig, you should know more than all of us. You're actually still a coach. Yeah, well, I've got a lot of athletes that I, I, uh, I focus on, but no, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm excited to watch. Honestly, I'm most excited to watch the meet. Um, I'm really excited to watch. I'm, I'm looking out for the women's competition. Uh, we've got a grudge match with Kara, the uh, longtime uh, U.S. record holder back from 2010 all the way until this year when Maggie Malone broke her record um, within the last couple weeks. So we've got a new American record holder coming in at 66 plus meters, one of the top throwers in the world now. Um, and we have Kara, who's coming off of 2019, 
who was fifth at the at the 2019 World Championships, damn near winning a medal, and then she blows out her ACL. You think there's no way this is the worst possible timing. It's a year out from the Olympic Games, or maybe less. And here she is back throwing over 60 meters and ready to throw, uh, ready to go make another team. Um, so, you know, you're looking at Kara and Maggie and then a, a whole host of other, um, you know, women who have a chance to make the team. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, those, those two, we got our two American record holders are throwing in this meet at the Olympic trials and hopefully we'll be throwing on the Olympic team uh, for the U S um, so that's where I think the most action is. Um, and then on the guy's side, um, I do have a soft spot um, for Curtis. Um, I hardly even know Curtis, but with how well he threw in 2016 and not making the team, uh, it's just very painful to watch that. Uh, and he seems like he's in, uh, he's ready to go and his training looks like it's, uh, it's been going well. So I'm really pulling for him. Um, but uh, outside of him, I think there are a lot of people that are ready to make the team and, uh, Really, uh, Curtis is is my number one priority for excitement for making the team after after heartbreak, throwing amazingly in 2016, and then and then the heartbreak of not quite making the team. So he's the guy I'm watching, but I'm excited to see competitions in in both. I'm super excited to watch it as well. But man, I I feel I'm so connected to to some of the top guys, and I want them to do so well. So I mean, Riley is uh, is like he's going to be the greatest of of all time. He's been throwing so far for so long. I don't know how many times he's been in the top three at USA Championships, but it's it's probably like Bro Greer, Puxtis, and then him now. Yeah. He's, uh, he's he he's been like doing it under the radar, but since 2013 when he came out of nowhere with an owl so shirt. Yeah, came out of nowhere with, with an owl shirt, throwing 850, and he hasn't stopped, um, even through an Achilles tear and and COVID and all of that. So I mean, this is in my mind, this is his year. This is um, his his Olympic year, and I hope, you know, I stole his thunder in 2015. I kind of spanked him on my last throw, and I think Shuey upped one upped him in 2019. And I hope he just pays everybody back with that. It was just a massive, massive meet, and I hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't want to uh, get into his mind. Yeah, uh, but I, that's what I hope happens. And then Shuey, I mean, he's a he's a great athlete and putting in so much hard work. And I know people at the training center have a, a huge advantage with that family they have you know they sacrifice their life they don't do, they just he plays yeah i mean you, you put your life on hold to do this so he's he's doing everything he needs to do to do great and i know that you know he's going to do some amazing things and yeah i mean um if curtis made the team in 2016 then i wouldn't have made the team and, and part of me wanted him to throw 83 because i was kind of limping in there um not too confident with some shoulder and whatever issues so, yeah, I hope that he goes out there and, and has an amazing day, too. But I'm not going to lie that, you know, Mark Minicello, I met him um, last year, him and his mom at some small meets out in New York. And she's uh, she inspired me so much on, on one throw that I think that might have been the throw that led to me breaking my back. That was the first time that I actually felt paralyzed on a throw. His, his mom was, broke your back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah don't, don't, don't talk about Mark's mom like that. She's, uh, she's a, a wonderful lady, but. She told me on, on she told me on on a throw, I I was like him and Mark and saying her and Mark and saying man you know sometimes it's scary to hit these positions like you just gotta sell out and that's what I have a hard time doing and she's like Sean why don't you just give me all your fear and then you go throw the javelin and I think my hair actually set on fire 
and I ran down and hit such a hard <laughs> position that um, I think I, I, I exploded some discs and I, I stood up and my right leg didn't work. But uh, it was maybe one of my most memorable throws. And I, I'm getting chills now just kind of remembering that. So now I know I, I know why Mark is uh, the athlete he is. And uh, I hope he does amazing things, too. If he doesn't do it this year, he's going to do it in the future. But I have to talk about the women, too, because I can't we can't t- have a podcast about Javelin and not talk about Kara Patterson, who's really one of the most amazing throwers in history. This might be her hundredth Olympic trials. So I think she's going to do some pretty amazing things and uh, she's, she's going to win a medal. Um, so I want to see her do well. And then Ariane Inse, um, I have some respect for her as uh, you know, somebody who has a full-time job and, and trying to put in javelin work. Maybe she sold her business this year, or did something cool, but I hope uh, she, she has a great trials. And then uh, what's that girl's name? Maggie Malone, who just threw the American. Oh yeah, maybe that yeah. American record holder. <laughs> yeah, what's her name? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember her when she cause she made the 2016 team. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah, she. Uh, I remember she was just uh, very, you know, just out of college or in college. I don't know, but um, yeah, she's is going to be a force. But uh, this is going to be a great year. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna. We have we got some uh, firepower on the women's side. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. Um, I mean, it's it's. I wish I had like an underdog story, like um, you know. But in reality, I would love to see Kara make you know that fourth Olympic team, uh, especially with all that she's been through. I mean, double ACL tear, same that I had to go through. So I like really feel for her. Um, much better career than I ever had. Um, Ariana, sure. is it is it what? How do you say Ariana's last name? Inse. Is it? That I thought is it was Ince. I thought it was Ince, and I go Ince. 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 Sean. Sean is Sean is notoriously bad at produ- pronouncing. Okay. Names. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I thought I, I was crazy. I, I'm sorry. Sorry, Ariana. So she's she's a freaking beast. So I mean, and then Maggie, like, yeah, I, I mean, you can't. She's gonna make that team no matter what. Seems like. So I I really agree with you all on fronts there. I, I disagree a little bit with you. I really hope Shuey doesn't make the team. I got guy <laughs> for my skid. <laughs> No, I'm playing. Um, no, I love Shuey. Um, I really, I, he's been through a lot. He's, he's literally given up his life flown across the country to, to make this work and to, to keep doing the javelin, something that's not a very forgiving thing. Um, I mean, we've all gone through it and, you know, just struggled with finances and everything like that, but still made it work. So um, just really pulling for him. But yeah, I mean, Curtis, I mean, if anyone doesn't know Curtis's uh, story, I think he threw 8298, two centimeters away from 12 centimeters. Oh, was it 12? So it was 88. 88. Okay. But still freaking really close, like three inches or whatever, four inches. I mean, I'm not even that big um, downstairs. So that's pretty big. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he was so close and he didn't make a team. And I remember he was like the nicest kid about it. Like, oh, no worries. Like I just did. I just got second at the Olympic trials. Like I'm ecstatic. Like he wasn't even, I don't know. And I just like, dude, you're going to have a long career. You're, you're young. You've got it, you know, next time. I really hope for the best. So I like, he deserves it in my mind more than anyone. Um, And he's really been pushing through some ups and downs that everyone's going to feel in the javelin. So I'm pulling for him. And then Riley's yeah. Riley with the owl shirt sponsored by, you know, those owls. And uh, I don't know what to say about Riley. He's been throwing consistently 80 meters since, you know, for eight years now. And I, I don't know if anyone deserves it more than him. I mean, that's really tough. So 
the top three guys are kind of my, my top three picks. Um, and we'll see what happens uh, next week. But what about uh, Scott Fuchs? What do you guys think he'll place? I've never heard of that. Scott Fuchs. Who's Scott Fuchs? <laughs> he, he's, he's through the point podcast. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of this guy. <laughs> he's the podcast we're on right now. Well, you guys are awesome. Amazing. Um, this was really fun. If, if anyone that's listening to this podcast, like wants to hear us again, maybe tell some like really random, crazy stories, some fun stories, some behind the scenes of, of what it has been like um, when we were kind of on the circuit over the last 10 years, like leave a comment, leave a like with, uh, you know, through the point podcast on his Instagram or whatnot. And, and let us know you want us back on to do another uh, podcast takeover. So uh, thank you, Craig. And thank you, Sean. And I will see you guys later. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. All right, see you guys. <laughs>